You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. I have a full French press of coffee, and I'm ready to talk about Hour of Devastation. Sounds like business. I don't do coffee. <laughs> never never have acquired the taste for it. I'm, I'm a Diet Mountain Dew man myself. This podcast will eventually be brought to you by Diet Mountain Dew. Oh my god, that would be the best thing on the planet. <laughs> so are you all uh, are you all wrapped up with the play now? All wrapped up, yeah. Had our closing matinee performance yesterday. Feel, feeling the post-show blues, but I'll be fine. On to the next, whatever that may be. But yeah, it was a great run. Do you still do like a closing party in like the professional world like i know it's a big thing like with high school musicals and things like that like tear down and closing party yeah well we don't we do not strike the set ourselves um in in the professional world uh but we did i mean we went like across the street to get a drink and some food at a place but it was a pretty low-key event usually the the opening night party is more of the the raucous event yeah and i know you posted on you posted on twitter that one of your uh one of your twitch viewers like came to see the play yeah it was can, amazing. We, can we give that person a shout out yeah, Hocus Mogus 22, thank you very much for coming to check out the show. I hope you and your girlfriend enjoyed it. Um, yeah, that was crazy. It sort of blew my mind. Uh, worlds colliding, my friend. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, how, how are you doing? You you start school soon, don't you? Doing well, yeah. School is school is starting up. Got teacher is my last full day of freedom. I got uh, teacher meetings tomorrow and Wednesday, and then first day for kids is Thursday. So, yeah, wow. school year's getting ready to go in full swing. You guys start early. I I didn't start till like after Labor Day when I was uh, in school. Yeah, Indiana does like this weird thing now. Like it, we used to start like late mid to late August when I was growing up, but now they do this thing called a balanced calendar. Where we have like a week long fall break, a two week long spring break. It's it's ridiculous. Oh wow. Anyway, uh, we're gonna talk about. Uh, actually, we should do trophy leaderboard update. Have you been doing on Have you been doing on the old drafts? Well, I. Stalled out a little bit. I hit a little valley, went about 11 drafts without trophying. Um, so I'm up to 20 trophies now, over 65 drafts, and my record is 125 and 58. So evening out to just above 67%. I don't know what that is, 68, 69% maybe, but um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. How about you? Um, I've been doing... Better. I, well, actually, that's not true. I've, I've been doing about the same. <laughs> I've been doing about the same. I've just done a lot more drafts between the last time, the last episode recorded in this episode. So I'm up to, I'm up to 56 drafts uh, mm-hmm. with a total of 15 trophies. Nice. And my overall record is 110 and 52 for a 68% win rate. Nice. Here's here's where the statistics get brutal. Oh no. I have I have 18 finals losses. To give me a, a 46% win rate in the finals. So 33 finals appearances overall. So I've been to the finals in well over well over half my drafts. But I, I can't get the job done once I get there. Do you know, have you kept track of how many are game three finals losses? Just for like the extra rubbins? <laughs> I think most of them. <laughs> <laughs> just from the way it feels. But I do, I, there's, like I've been thinking about it more. And I think there's a couple factors. I mean, one, your competition's a lot better in the finals. Sure. Two, I think I'm a, a much better drafter than I am player, and I do think had I played better in, you know, two or three that I can think of off the top of my head, you were there for one of them, uh, where I was facing down Godfrey's gift and Nicol Bolas, and we we punted sort of by not blowing up the land. Uh, our opponent had to keep them from hitting. Yeah, our opponent was on 
six mana sources and we had silent sided in violent impact is that, that's what it's called right yeah yeah uh the th- three and a red that destroys a land or an artifact to it was in there to blow up god pharaoh's gift but uh to keep them off seven lands for their two seven mana bombs that probably was a, a better shot but we were also low on time and and pretty crunched for decision making yeah so st- stuff like that just keeps happening to me uh if like or yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's been brutal. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> I care, Ben. I care. Oh, thanks. All right. So yeah, um, and I do think I need to play better. I think I need to start making. If I'm gonna commit to doing a podcast and trying to be a better magic player, I think I think I need to try to improve my play skill because the more I stream and the more Twitch chat points out things I do wrong, like the more I realize that I just need to tighten up my game. And I think that probably makes more of a more of an appearance in the finals because my deck is more on par with my opponent's deck yeah that makes sense so so maybe i'm getting outplayed some in the finals too could be all right so our two main topics for the episode are going to be we're going to take a look in the pro tour drafts so instead of giving you um you know packs from our twitch streaming uh that we've done we're going to dive deep on the five uh pro tour drafts that were covered and we're also going to take a look at some card evaluation changes from amonkhet like what's gone up what's gone down based on our experience in drafting the format so far. So uh, do you want to, without further ado, take a seat at the Roundtable Pro Tour Edition? Oh, I'd love to. Let's do it. So the first draft we're going to cover here is uh, Mike Sigrist. So if you can kind of picture yourself, set the scene. You you grinded really hard. You you won, since you don't play paper events, you won. <laughs> uh, you won your first Magic Online PTQ sealed. You made the top eight and you crushed the draft. You 3-0'd, obviously, because of the insane number of drafts you do to practice. Yep. And you're at your first Pro Tour and you're sitting down on day one and cracking your first pack. Okay. So we're going to, rather than go through every card in all the packs, we're going to abbreviate and just kind of give you the cards that stand out as the reasonable picks um, to try to make it a little more manageable. And we're going to go like, I don't know, maybe three, three through five picks deep on some of these. Yeah, something that the pros do, which is really great if you ever watch Pro Tour coverage, uh, highly recommend, is they will pull the like two or three cards that they're considering to the front and shuffle through them very quickly. Um, so it gives not only you, the viewer, but the uh, announcers an idea of what they're considering. So it makes this job easy for us to be like, well, Mike Sigurds is really looking at these two cards or whatever. Right, and if you're interested, if you've not ever checked them out before, uh, where we stream on Twitch, uh, Magic has its own channel, and you can go to the Magic channel on Twitch, and you can watch all five of these drafts all the way through if this is something that's interesting to you and you've not ever had a chance to do that before. So maybe maybe we pique your curiosity here and you want to dive even deeper than we have. And they've parsed them out into each match has its own VOD, each draft has its own uh, video on demand so like you're really able to if you just want to watch the drafts or just want to watch the limited matches very easy for you to go and find those in the archival videos yeah for sure uh so you're sitting down on we kind of ruined the mood there a little bit though <laughs> sorry 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 I'll get my head back in the game uh so you're sitting down day one of the pro tour you open your first pack and the two cards that you're really deciding between are fervent Paincaster, which is two in a red for the three one uh taps to ping a player and exert taps to kill a creature or not kill a creature ping <laughs> ping a one toughness creature yeah um and versus tenacious hunter which is the two green green four four that when something has a minus one minus one counter on it it gets death touch and vigilance i think this is fairly close and i think this might also like i think this is a kind of close pick where I would consider what else is in the pack. Like, if there are three other red cards, I might hedge towards taking the Tenacious Hunter and vice versa. Um, but just on raw power level, I do like what Sigris took here, which is Fervent Pain Caster. 
Yep, Sigurds was on Fervent Paincaster. That's what I was also on, at, but I think it's it's really, really close. Yeah. Um, all right, so you've got a Fervent Paincaster in your pile. You passed a good green card. Mm-hmm. Pick two. You get your next pack. Uh, you see, as the reasonable cards, Sun Scourge Champion, which is two and a white for a 2-3, gain life equal to its power when it enters the battlefield, and then it has Eternalized, two white-white, discard a card. So it comes back into play as a 4-4, four, four, and you gain four life. Kenra Scrapper, the two and a red for a 2-3. Uh, it's got Menace, and when you exert it, it gets it turns into a 4-3 attacker. Mm-hmm. And Oasis Ritualist, three and a green for the 2-4 that taps for a mana of any color and then can exert to add two mana of any color to your mana pool. Yeah. So I do think on power level that Sunscourge Champion, like if these if this was my pack one, pick one, I do think Sunscourge Champion is the best card here. I think the question is, as I think we will see a lot in these pick twos, is... Uh, is it worth picking a card that is in the color of your first pick, or is it worth taking just whatever the best card in the pack is? And I think as those margins get closer and closer, uh, that decision becomes more difficult to me. Like if if they're pretty, if there's a pretty big power level gap, I'm just going to take the best card. But if we're talking about like hairs of difference, as I think we kind of are with Sunskirt's Champion and Kenra Scrapper, what is the pick here? You know, what, what would you do? Uh, before I saw, I was trying really hard when I watched these drafts to think what I would pick, uh, mm-hmm. before I saw what Mike Sigurds took, and I was actually on, uh, Sunscourge Champion, mm-hmm. and it was very, very close for me, but I, so I think what you're talking about where you want to match your second pick up with your first pick, like, and maybe take a, a slight hit in power level versus just taking the best card, for me, yeah. that sliding scale varies based on how good my first pick card is, and I think Fervent Paincaster is good. Uh, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's a bomb. Um, so I'm going to try to play red, but I'm also like very willing to move off my fervent paincaster if red isn't open. Yeah. So I, I that's why I went with Sunscourge Champion because I identified it as the best card in the pack on raw power level. Yeah, that to me seems like the smarter play. Uh, not I mean, obviously like we're just a couple of scrub pleb streamers talking about a pros draft picks we understand but i, I do think it, it seems a little like he's pigeonholing himself by taking the scrapper here whereas i i think i, I would imagine his evaluation is the same is that sunskirt's champion is a better card yeah and 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 we're gonna disagree that doesn't mean we're right and it doesn't mean and we're right. certainly not saying the pros are wrong we're just telling you what we would have done in our experience and i, I don't think it's crazy to think i mean certainly not and uh with their team's numbers but i think probably uh, person to person, we may have more drafts under our belt than some of these players, considering they're also having to test for uh, 10 rounds of standard. Yeah, I was actually wondering that. Like, have we done, like, while I was watching these drafts, I was thinking, have I done more drafts than, like, <laughs> Paulo Vitor? Uh, that that would be, like, that would be kind of insane. Yeah. But I don't think it's crazy to think that. I don't think it's crazy, because this is, this is six, uh, only six rounds are limited, right? Like, I think they're they're probably focusing more on standard. Um, all right, so you've got uh, oh what, what what so what would you pick? You never really said. Uh, I I said I, no, I did. I I would go Sunscorch Champion. Okay, Sunscorch Champion, and and Sigrist went with Kenner Scrapper if that wasn't clear. So at this point now, we're making these other picks. I think with in mind that we have Kenner Scrapper in our pile. Um, sure. I think we can also talk about like different you know, or other other directions the draft could have gone. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so. Sigris has Fervent Paincaster, Kenner Scrapper so far. Mm-hmm. Pick three, you see a pack that has Oketra's Avenger, best white common, one and a white for the three one that can exert to not take combat damage. Um, Manticore Eternal, three red red for the five four zombie Manticore, which I think is actually pretty relevant. Afflict three and has to attack every turn. And Firebrand Archer, the one and a red, two one that uh, pings your opponent whenever you cast a non-creature spell. 
So this pick, I think, is really interesting because if I'm Sigrus and I've taken Paincaster and Kendra Scrapper, and now I feel like I'm going to take Manticore Eternal because it keeps me in red, and I actually think the card is quite good. I agree. I was surprised he didn't take Manticore Eternal here. So spoiler, Sigrus took Oketra's Avenger as his first white card. So, I mean, clearly it is the best white common, and... uh maybe one of the best commons but white's commons fall off pretty starkly i think after you take avenger um so it just sort of surprises me that he i guess he maybe took that as a white signal that it came pick three but i would think if you're taking kenner scrapper over sunskirt's champion second that you would take eternal over avenger third yeah i would also think that and i think had you and i taken sunskirt's champion we would have been on oketra's avenger here for sure all right, and then pick four, moving on. So now Sigrist has Fervent Paincaster, Kenner Scrapper, and Oketra's Avenger as a quick recap. Pick four, uh, reasonable choices are Hope Tender, which is the one in a green for a 2-2 that can tap to untap any land, so it kind of filters, and then you have to exert it to actually ramp you. Cost one to exert, and you untap two lands. Thorn Moloch, the two in a red for a 2-2 uh, that has first strike when attacking and prowess. Uh, that card has recently gone up for me and Sidewinder Naga, the two and a green for 3-2, and then if you've got a desert somewhere, uh, it gets plus one, plus oh, and trample. Um, I agree with what Sigurds took here, which is Hope Tender. The, these other two cards don't excite me that much. I'll be interested to hear uh, either now or later on why Thorned Moloch has gone up for you. Um, but especially with his... I take He take, took the two red cards, he sort of dipping his toe into white with Oketra's Avenger, and now I think Hope Tender, fourth maybe feels like a bit of a green signal and also is the best card of these three uh, for me not really close yeah uh, it's thorn, thorn moloch yeah I, I was also on hope tender here so you and i and sigrist are all on the same thing thorn moloch it's not like it's gone up a lot i'm not actively seeking it out or anything but i had it kind of slotted as like a card that only goes in blue red spells and i think it probably does some work in every aggressive deck i, I had not played with it hardly at all nor faced it down that much. And I faced it down several times now where people were putting like a honed Kopesh on it or a Dagger of the Worthy or a Cartouche. And once it turns into like a three powered first striker, it's pretty real. And like if they just attack with open mana, it's hard to block it with anything that doesn't have four toughness. Uh, so it's almost it's almost like a three powered attacker anyway, even if they don't have it equipped. And then once they have it equipped, it's threatening to turn into a four power first striker. So I think it probably slots into any aggressive deck and you're actively looking for ways to pump its power i think if you have multiple of them i think in my brain i had it categorized as on par to like the derpy three drops like minotaur sure shot and thresher lizard and i think it might be slightly better than those cards in an aggressive deck see for for me i feel like it's secretly a blue red card because you know that's the deck that wants all those prowess triggers um but it feels like i want it way less than i want the firebrand archer and the spellweaver eternal i would agree with that completely but uh yeah i, I could see that um all right f- finish this out for us what's the fifth pick yeah the fifth pick so we've got fervent paincaster kenner scrapper oketra's avenger hope tender on sigris to pick so far pick five uh lethal sting that's two and a black uh put a minus one minus one counter on your own creature as part of the casting cost destroy target creature don't misclick that on magic online <laughs> <laughs> Haven't done it yet, but every time I almost do it. Uh, Survivor's Encampment, which is the desert, the filter land that has taps for colorless, and then you have to tap a creature and tap it, and if you do, you get to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Yeah. That keep that keeps going up for me. Yeah. So I keep drafting three, four, five color garbage decks that mm-hmm. care about deserts. Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs, our boy. 
I am um, on the wall of Forgotten Pharaoh's Train, except uh, my new complaint about the set. Like, occasionally, like, when you're streaming, like, Twitch chat will ask you, like, what you like about the set, what you don't like about the set. My new mm-hmm. answer for what I don't like about the set is that Wall of Pharaohs is so good that I have to play it, but I have to remember to ping while I'm streaming because that takes way too much of my attention span. Wow. So, two, two mana for Colorless 04 that taps to ping if you have a desert, not creatures, only players, and then the Merciless Eternal, two and a black for the 2-2, two, two, afflict two zombie that you can pay two and a black to discard a card to give it plus two, plus two. Though it seemed like the pros were not feeling this way, I think Merciless Eternal is a very good aggressive black card. With that and Lethal Sting in the pack, I am sort of feeling like black is open for this seat. But, you know, he's he has spent a lot of his picks trying to figure out what the open colors are, so he may be at this point being like, I can't take a fourth color in my first five cards. Um, so he does land on Survivor's Encampment here. Um, without any desert any cards that care about deserts yet i'd be i'm a little less inclined with this pick but i do see like well what am i going to take am i going to take lethal sting here and try and like play red black or i don't know so maybe he's he's thinking well i've got the hope tender i've got the encampment maybe i end up in some sort of green red splash a third color kind of deck and that's what what his pick sort of dictates to me. But I'm not really sure what I would do here. I'm looking at these picks over and over and deciding, but I, I guess maybe I would... I think I would probably take Lethal Sting here. That's what I would have taken also. So, And then I would have been looking to draft White-Black, I think. Mm. And I do think, from what I remember... like we'd have, So we'd have had the Sunscrews champion also, and I do think there was kind of a White-Black deck open in his seat, pack one, from what I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. And I think gr- Green becomes pretty apparently open a, little, a, few, a few picks later, if I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up settling into red green and he got totally rewarded um because he opened spoilers he opened samut the tested in pack two and then he opened samut of the worthy or whatever the yeah. actual creature samut um from the almond pack so he had a he ended up in a red green deck with both the planeswalker and the creature that's how that's how it works right you figure out the open colors in pack one and then you get the bombs in packs two and three yeah the bomb gold cards that's exactly how it works when you're a pro yep <laughs> That's what it takes people to be a pro. <laughs> really interesting stuff from Sigrist. Um, moving on to our next draft for the round table. Uh, Lucas Blohan, this is a draft viewer, so they like sort of, while they're waiting for players to build, they show a, another draft that they've recorded. So his pick one came down to Vizier of the Anointed, um, the card that continues to go criminally underrated. That's the three and a blue for the two four that finds an embalm or eternalizer from your deck puts it into your graveyard whenever you eternalize or embalm you draw a card um you have that card versus puncturing blow now the amount of puncturing blow is the two red red deal five if it dies uh, exile the creature i think pretty clear about how we talk about vizier of the anointed every week that i'm gonna be on the vizier of the anointed plan here what about you yeah me as well that card is so good and it goes so late i still keep seeing it like sixth seventh eighth pick and i think Mm -hmm. it's a first pick quality card don't let it go that late people yeah so that seems pretty straightforward next up pick two Uh, comes lucas blohan was also on vizier the anointed yes for what it's worth that that is worth (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you you might care about these club streamers opinions but yeah lucas blohan agrees with us exactly or we agree with him, whichever came first. You know. I think I think he agrees with us. <laughs> oh, okay, that seems good. Pick two uh, comes down to Tenacious Hunter. We already talked about that. That's the green uncommon 4-4. Uh, versus Torment of Venom. That's two black black to put three minus one minus one counters on a creature at instant speed. And then in addition to that, your opponent has to uh, pay three life, discard a card, or sacrifice another non-land permanent. Um, so here's where I'm at with Tenacious Hunter right now. 
Yes. I think it is better than all the commons. So if if I see Tenacious Hunter versus Open Fire, which I or or Ambuscade, uh, I'm still on Hunter over those cards. So I would take Tenacious Hunter here. What about you? That's interesting. I am not. I am not that high on it. I would take. I think both Open Fire and Ambuscade over Tenacious Hunter. What about Torment of Venom? I would not take Torment of Venom over at pack one, pick one. Uh, but so initially, this was really interesting here. Uh, I was going to pick Tenacious Hunter, and then mm-hmm. listening to Lucas Blohan's reasoning for taking Torment of Venom, he actually convinced me that Torment of Venom was the correct pick here. And his reasoning was he thought he thought Torment of Venom went better in a deck with Vizier of the Anointed. Mm-hmm. And I do think Vizier of the Anointed is a good enough card that you like it does put you in a controlling grindy sort of deck mm-hmm. and with that reasoning i think it's close enough for me between torment of venom and tenacious hunter that that made torment of venom get the nod over tenacious hunter for me but before he had said that had i been drafting by myself i would have been on tenacious hunter yeah um so yeah lucas blohan did take torment of venom so he's got the vizier he's got torment and then he goes into pick three and he's got two uh uncommons here that he's looking at eternal of harsh truths that's the tuna blue one three that has afflict two and if it goes unblocked you draw a card versus sunscourge champion that's the white eternalizer that we talked about that gains you life when it comes into play what do you like between these two uh i think sunscourge champion is a better card than eternal of harsh harsh truths it keeps going up and up and up for me the more i see it in play my my opponent plays sunscourge champion i'm pretty disappointed and although Eternal of Harsh Truths is a blue card to go with your Vizier of the Anointed, I'm thrilled to grab an Eternalizer here, having taken Vizier first. Right, yeah. So I think, I think, what do you think is a better card in a vacuum between Sunscourge Champion and Eternal of Harsh Truths? I think Sunscourge Champion is a better card. I, I think so also, despite my affinity for what Eternal of Harsh Truths does mechanically. Yeah. And I think Lucas Blohan's reasoning here was also interesting. Like he said... He did. This was another thing. Like he said, he didn't think Eternal of Harsh Truths goes well in a deck with Vizier the Anointed and Torment of Venom. Yeah. Like he's he's not going to be trying to tempo people out and like draw cards and things like that. Um. So, regardless of what you're doing on these close picks, you know where you're trying to decide to pick a card that goes with your first color or pick a card of a different color. I think it's really important to keep in mind that you have reasons for what you're picking, so that because that's going to lead to you overall drafting some sort of a deck with a plan, which is going to lead to a higher win rate. Right. In Modern Limited, the I mean, as we discussed all of last week, you're not just drafting two-color good stuff. These decks have a game plan generally, whether it's blue-red spells or green-black minus-one minus-one counters or red-white exert. Like, these decks all sort of have a, a kind of thing that they're trying to do generally. And it, clearly, the man has a lot of experience with the format because he's thinking on that level of like, well, if I am blue-black, Eternal of Harsh Truths doesn't go in that deck. Like it's not, I'm not going to be doing the tempo plan. I'm going to be trying to get to the late game and grinding people out. And I don't think my three mana one, three is going to help me get there. Right. And also interesting to note. So he had three different cards of uh, one of each color at this point. He had a vizier, a torment and a sunscourge champion. And if you go later in the draft, he actually ends up pivoting because he took sunscourge champion there and allowed himself flexibility. He actually ended up being able to pivot very easily off of blue and end up not playing his vizier, the anointed. So he pivoted yeah. off of his first pick. Don't get married to your first pick, people. All right, so up next, we're going to take a look at PV's Day 2 draft. So now, new, new scenario for sitting down at the round table. <laughs> you, you, crushed your, you crushed your PTQ, you won the draft, top 8, and not only did you do that, you tested Standard a bunch with, uh, with Sandball 49. He, he, gave you the new, <laughs> he gave you the new sick deck for Standard, and you start off Day 1 with the Pro Tour 8-0, 
Eight and you're getting, you're getting ready to sit down at your day two draft undefeated. How's that yeah. scenario sound to you? Terrifying. <laughs> like, I mean, great, but I'm like already sort of feeling sick to my stomach just thinking about it. <laughs> All right. So you open your first pack mm-hmm. and you see Torment of Venom, mm-hmm. uh, which we already talked about. The minus three, minus three, two black, black. Uh, Oketra's Avenger, best white common, one and a white for the three, one. Vizier of the True, which is the white vizier. Uh, that's three and a white for a three, two. And... Whenever you exert another creature uh, or it, uh, its exert ability triggers this also. It's exert intrinsically does nothing, but it causes this to trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a horrible explanation. That was pretty bad, yeah. That was, yeah, so wordy and terrible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> when you exert something, you can tap a creature your opponent controls. And Overwhelming Splendor, six white-white for the uh, mythic enchantment that turns everything into, one, into a 1-1 one, one, and you can't activate abilities or something silly like that. Yeah. So I've played with Overwhelming Splendor in three decks now, and I have three owed with two of them. However, in my last one, I never cast it. I had I built this like red white uh, like control deck with the White Wrath, the Chaos Maw, and just like a bunch of like three Aven of Enduring Hopes to gain me life to get to the late game. Um, but I never cast Overwhelming Splendor. I'm kind of off of this card. I think it is. I, you you pegged this, I think, in our set review as it's secretly a green-white card because of the eight-mana casting cost. Um, so as much as I want to like be like, yeah, this is like the format is slow enough and you can first pick this as a bomb, I think this is just a little bit out of reach uh, for this format. Yeah, so a, a couple of things, a couple of thoughts on that. I have not played with it yet. I've played against it, mm-hmm. um, and playing against it was horrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It t- when it comes down, you're probably losing the game. Yeah. I was looking for ways to bounce it, like to win the game. I had a couple of bounce but bounce target permanent spells in my deck that would have let me win, but I didn't draw them. It's it's horribly oppressive when it's on the battlefield. But where I'm where I'm on this and like some of the other crazy expensive payoff cards, like I'm I'm willing to first pick a Sifter Worm, I'm willing to first pick a Chaos Maul, but I'm not thrilled about doing it because those those cards pigeonhole you into drafting a ramp deck so what what i would ideally like to do is find myself in a control deck with a couple of race oasis ritualists and then be picking these cards up you know fourth fifth sixth eighth pick like so i I think that's how you want to pick overwhelming splendor i don't think you want to first pick it i think you want to be in a like kind of like approach to the second set although you could first pick approach to the second set too if you were a sicko like me but uh (laughs) like ideally you were in a controlling deck and then you got an approach to the second set yeah, I, I totally agree. So now it's between these, you know, two premium commons in Torment of Venom and Catches Avenger, and what I think is a pretty good uh, uncommon in Vizier of the True. So I think between the two white cards, Vizier of the True is better for me than Catches Avenger. What do you think? I agree, but I would almost be inclined to pick Catches Avenger over Vizier of the True. Pack one, pick one. Really? Why? Uh, because I think Vizier of the True is only really good if you end up I guess so. Catcher's Avenger is the same way. I don't know. Vizier the True is only really good if you end up really aggressive with multiple ways to exert. Right. So you're looking to be white, red, or white, green when you take Vizier of the True. But same as yes. for Catcher's Avenger. Yeah. I guess Avenger can go in a white, It can black go in white, deck. blue, and white, black also. I guess that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, so Paolo Vitor Domodorosa took Torment of Venom here uh, out of this pack. And I don't know. I think... Yeah, I think I would take Vizier of the True. I've just been, uh, I, I like, so there's something I like about taking Vizier of the True in that it sort of gives me an idea of what uh, game plan I might want with that card. Like, I am 
going to be looking to be aggressive. Uh, I am going to be looking to pair it with red or green if I can. Torment of Venom leaves me a lot more open, which I guess, and as I'm talking about it, talks me into it. But I do think the power level, I don't know. No, maybe not. I'm going to go Torment of Venom. I, I was on Torment of Venom here because yeah. I think... I think it's very close for me between Avenger and Vizier of the True. Maybe closer than it should be. Maybe Vizier of the True. I, I I understand that Vizier of the True is like a way more intrinsically powerful card, but I think mm-hmm. it's a slightly narrower card than Oketra's Avenger. Yeah. But I think those two are fairly close for me, and I think Torment of Venom is a better card than Oketra's Avenger. Um, so I, I was on Torment here along with PV. Yeah. So pick two, uh, he opens up a pack with Firebrand Archer, the one in a red, two one, the pings. Riddle form. This is a new card to discuss this episode. This is one in a blue for an enchantment that is whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you may turn it into a 3-3 flyer until end of turn. And it also has an activated ability of two in a blue to scry one. You had a sicko draft. With I sure four, did. Four riddle forms. We wheeled them. I was watching that draft. So you you picked the fourth one. You wheeled the other three. And that deck had like an impending doom nonsense in it too, didn't it? Imminent Doom, yes. And it also had Mirage Mirror for the Miser's fifth copy of Riddle Form. Yeah, that deck was sick. Uh, yeah, I did live the dream with the four Riddle Form deck, and it was real. It 3 0'd. Uh, basically, it, we played a blue red mirror in the finals and had to go to three games, but the other two matches were like not even real matches of magic. It was just like Riddle Form on turn two, Riddle Form on turn three, Crash Through on turn four, like just beating down your opponent with 3-3 flyers in the air. Um, So I am now, not even just from that draft, but I've played the card uh, other times as well. And I do think Riddle Form is a real card that that I certainly underrated in our set review, and I would be happy to have in, in certain kinds of decks. So let me, let me ask you this. Do you, yes. Are you high enough on Riddle Form that it makes you want to move into blue-red spells? Or do yes. you want to... Okay, that's interesting. Yes, I am. I, I, do, I think it is a reason to be in the deck. Now, I, I also think where you take it is interesting because, I mean, certainly in that... It was in that draft that I was like, about pick five, I was like, oh, we've passed a bunch of riddle forms, and if this deck is open, I can take these cards and wheel those riddle forms. And that is what ended up happening. Um, but I think it's interesting, like, do you take it early and build your deck around it, or do you think about, I've seen them, and Magmaroth I would sort of loop in as another uncommon that, that makes me think about this deck, uh, but that you could probably get later because if you're the only person drafting that deck, you're probably the only person who wants those cards. All right. So firebrand archer, riddle form Spellweaver eternal, the two or the one of the blue two, one that has prowess and afflict two and dauntless, Haven, two and a white for a two, one that when it attacks, you can untap a creature. Yeah. Not, not a great second pick. Option no, for it's PB a great, here. great pack for a sealed deck to build a blue red spells matter deck. But uh, yeah, it's sort of rough to have Firebrand Archer, Riddle Form, and Spellweaver Eternal all next to each other because they all sort of want to be in the same deck, I think. And Dauntless Haven is fine and in some senses might be like the best card here. Um, sort of you might be kicking yourself a little bit because it goes so well with a Catcher's Avenger or Vizier of the True. Right. Had you first had you first picked one of those two cards, I think you would certainly be on Dauntless Haven here. Certainly. This is where I think that comes in of like the power level is sort of close between all these cards, but that they the first your first pick matches up so well with Dauntless Haven had you taken a white card that that would be sort of the tiebreaker for me. Right. But the brutal thing for PV here is none of these cards matches first pick of Right. So you had discussed, I do think there is, you know, I don't know if, the, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen, spoiler alert, we talked about Blue Black last week, and uh, I was like, all right, well, I'm trying to draft this, like, Blue Black aggro deck that might exist. 
I haven't had it come together yet. Um, so I don't know if Torment of Venom plus Spellweaver Eternal is a thing. Um, you've talked about Firebrand Archer in a red-black sort of removal-heavy deck. So Archer could be a pick here to go with Torment of Venom. Um, what Paulo takes here is Riddleform. What do you think about that? I I was very surprised by that. Yeah. I would have been on uh, Spellweaver Eternal or Dauntless Haven here. And I think I ended up settling on Spellweaver Eternal for myself. Mm-hmm. And then PV picked Riddleform and I was like, whoa, he must think blue-red spells is really good. Yeah. I think taking one of these three cards is an okay thing because maybe you wheel uh, one of them. But it feels like to me, and they probably know more from their testing, but that Riddleform is the most likely of these cards to wheel. That's what I would say. That's what I would say too, from my experience in the pleb queues. Yeah. So I, I think that, that seems like a, I would take Spellweaver Eternal, hoping that Riddleform or Firebrand Archer wheels. All right. So moving on to pick three, he's got Vizier of the Anointed, our boy, the Embalm Eternalized Lord, uh, Supreme Will. This is two and a blue for an instant. Uh, it has two modes. You pick one. You can either Mana Leak, which is counter target spell, unless it's controller pays three colorless, or you can look at the top four cards of your library. Pick one to put in your hand, put the rest on the bottom, otherwise known as Impulse. Um, and another copy of Oketra's Avenger. So Vizier of the Anointed, Supreme Will, and Oketra's Avenger. What do you like here? Uh, yeah, I would I would be on Vizier of the Anointed here as the best card. But had you started your draft, it would be interesting to see if you'd started your draft like Vizier of the True, Dauntless Haven. I think you would probably be on Oketra's Avenger then over Vizier of the Anointed. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a world where you went... White aggressive card, Dauntless Haven, and now a Catcher's Avenger is pretty easy. But as it sits, having taken Riddle Form, though I don't think the two go in the same deck, I would still probably be on Vizier of the Anointed. Yep, I agree. That That's where I would be also. I think it's just right. the best card, and you don't have a clear direction based on your first two picks of Torment of Venom and Riddle Form so far. What's my fourth pick? Your fourth pick is Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs, the 04 that pings, my arch nemesis, <laughs> uh, Lethal Sting two and a black to kill something put a minus one minus one counter on your creature shafet dunes that's the white uncommon desert uh that you can pay a life to add a white taps for colorless with no payment of life and two white white tap sack any desert uh, to give your team plus one plus one as a sorcery effect uh survivor's encampment that's the colorless desert that filters by tapping a creature and strategic planning the one in a blue to look at three cards put one in your hand and the other two in your graveyard or on the bottom of your library in your graveyard which is in your graveyard yeah. yes very relevant Gosh, this pack. Again, I'm looking at, you know, this is a very surprising pick to me because you first pick Torment of Venom and you see Lethal Sting in the pack. It seems like a pretty, like, I've got Torment of Venom, I've got Vizier of the Anointed, I've got Lethal Sting. I feel like I could have some sort of blue-black control deck. Yes, I would have been 100% on Lethal Sting here. Paolo goes all in and takes strategic planning. So he is, this pick lets me know that he is trying to force blue-red spells. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the only thing you could say about this pick, yeah. if, in my experience, because that seems like the only deck that actively wants strategic planning, and it's strange to me that he picks it fourth because it seems like very very likely to wheel out of this pack to me. It's very filler. Like in the deck, strategic planning and crash through, I think, are the cards that you're like, well, if I'm in blue red spells, I want to play this deck because it's a cheap card that triggers all of my spells matter cards and replaces itself but you can get it 10th 11th pick you know i don't picking it fourth feels so bad and i think lethal sting is just such a much more powerful card but he it seems like he clearly identifies blue red as one of the best card uh, decks in the format and is just trying to get himself in there yeah and then his his 
Pick five is very weak. Uh, he has a choice of Firebrand Archer versus Merciless Eternal. Mm-hmm. Uh, PB ends up taking Firebrand Archer because he's on the Blue Red Spells plan. So he's he's very relieved, I think, to see Firebrand Archer fifth. Yeah. I think you and I would have been on Merciless Eternal, and then yeah. we'd have had we'd have had Torment, possibly Spellweaver, yeah. possibly, and then Vizier the Anointed, a Lethal Sting, and a Merciless Eternal. So we might have been on track for that blue black aggro deck. Yeah. Or or some sort of blue black controlling deck. But yeah, that was a, that was a very his first five picks were very interesting, and then he actually uh, he ended up being blue red spells because he because he kind of had decided that he was going to be blue red spells. He had a decision point. I don't remember what it was. It was pick two. Did he have green cards? Maybe or was it a black card? I don't know. He had some deciding determining point in the draft where he ended up like settling. I'm going to be blue red spells. Oh, it was a it was a sand strangler versus something else, and I don't mm-hmm. remember what the other card was but anyway uh he ended up blue red spells he got kind of cut at the end of pack one his pile at the end of pack one was not great but then he got a huge hookup in pack two and pack three ended up working out pretty well for him too so i think his overall deck ended up being good yes but i think the start of his draft here was a little questionable based on how you and i like to draft Mm -hmm. yeah and he ended up winning the pro tour so like (laughs) what like what what do we know what do we know exactly exactly All right, so we'll take a look at uh, Seth Manfield's uh, draft here. So pick one, he's got Crested Sunmare. That's the three white white for a 5-5. Five, five. I'm going to try and talk about this card from memory because I don't, I've never played with it. Uh, a 5-5 five, five horse. Um, it has it says horses, other horses you control are indestructible. And whenever you gain life in a turn, uh, or in your end step, if you gain life this turn, you create a 5-5 five, five horse token. Is that right? Yes, I believe Correct. so. And I, I would, can we just back up one second? Yeah. What I really want to do, I would like to ask PV mm-hmm. about the start of that draft. If he could go back, if he would make the same picks, I would be really curious about that. Mm-hmm. And I would also like to tweet at Ben S, like those picks, and see what Ben S thinks is the pick in those first five picks. I bet he would respond. I bet both of them would respond to you. We should do that. Let's do it. Great. All right. For, for science. For science. Okay, so Crested Sunmare. Next, Torment of Scarabs, the Ben Wernie Memorial card. Uh, three and a black for uh, an enchantment that has that Punisher effect every upkeep for your opponent. Either they lose three life, discard a card, or sacrifice a non-land permanent. Unquenchable Thirst, premium rem- blue uh, removal, one and a blue for an enchantment that causes a creature to not untap during their upkeep or untap step. And uh, if you have a desert in your yard or in play, it taps the creature itself. And of course, our favorite Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs. Uh, a lot of stuff here. Um, have you had experience with Crested Sunmare yet? I have. I've played with it once, and I found it to be good, but not great. Um, I had it in a white-red deck with a few ways to gain life. I had two Avenim Enduring Hopes. I had Hasselhoff, which is a true survivor. No, not true survivor. What's the name of the Res- card? Resolute Survivors. <laughs> Resolute Survivors. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> uh, the 3-3 three, three for one and red gold card that when you exert any creature, you gain a life. So that represented multiple opportunities to gain life over multiple turns. Uh, and then I had some other, like, half of a way to gain life. I don't remember what that would have been. An anointer priest or something. I don't know. I had four ways, three, three and a half or four ways to gain life in my deck. And I made a couple horses, but it was not impressive overall. Mm, interesting. Even making a couple horses, not that impressive? Uh, I lost that game to, I forget what I lost to. Bigger creatures from my opponents? I was under pressure. But it, I, it, it didn't get the job done. Yeah. Um... I, I would be on the crest. So for me, it's between Crested Sunmare and Unquenchable Thirst here. Um, I don't think... I mean, you could take Torment of Scarabs and, like, build around it, but that seems a little... 
dicey to me. I'm not even willing to do that, and I love Torment of Scarabs now. I also, I mean, I don't know because the pros seem to know what they're doing, and they're going to be taking deserts highly and probably in turn taking walls highly. But there's a world where you take Thirst here and you pick up some deserts along the way and you can wheel this wall of Forgotten Pharaohs. Um, but all that said, I think I would be on what Seth did, which is take Crested Sunmare. I think pack one, pick one is where you kind of want to take it. And if you can build around this quote unquote, like grab some, uh, Sun Scourge champions or even of Enduring Hopes or, uh, things like that, some sacred cats, um, that this card I think can, can do work. I, I agree. I, I would be on Crested Sunmare here also, but I, I, I was just a little, little under, underwhelmed by how it ended up performing my deck. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's powerful, and I think you're if you pick a pack one, pick one, you certainly you certainly can build around it, and certainly can end up with a deck better than the one I had it in that has more ways to gain life. All right, so you're so you've taken Crested Sunmare first. Your pick two. These are all cards we've talked about, so I will uh, not repeat what they do. Torment of Venom versus Spellweaver Eternal and Dauntless Aven. Uh, for me here, I would be on Torment of Venom as I think the most powerful card out of those three cards. Still trying to stay flexible. So something that was said in the commentary by Paul, and forgive me if I'm uh, sort of butchering his words, but the, I think, sentiment was he sort of floated the idea that you could take Dauntless Haven here and, uh, like, cut white or, like, you know, try and plant your, your foot as your seat being in white with your Crested Sunmare. Is that something you're thinking about at all in this pick? Not. That doesn't even come into my mind. Because I think the power level gap between Torment of Dauntless Haven and Torment of Venom mm. is pretty real uh and i think a deck that wants crested sunmare is not necessarily a deck that wants dauntless haven at all yeah i think i think crested sunmare le- lends itself to a more controlling style white deck i mean it's pro- probably fine if you're beating down too and you have ways to gain life but yeah so i think i, I totally agree seth manfield took torment of venom as well so i think all, all three of us in agreement here on what picks one and two are and in pick three he grabs uh or he, he looks at a pack with ambuscade that's the two and a green for a, an instant uh, target creature you control gets plus one plus zero and deals damage equal to its power to another creature. Premium green common and perhaps argument for best common in the set. Uh, Kenra Scrapper, Ruin Rat, that's the one in a black 1-1 one, one death touch that when it dies exiles a card from your opponent's graveyard. Relevant text, my friend. Mm. <laughs> I just like have faced this down with my embalmers or my internal eternalizers and I'm just always like, ugh. Or they like get your desert out of your graveyard and turn off your desert matters cards. Like the card is pretty good. Yep, it has done some work against me, as has the 2-3 white zombie that when it enters the battlefield, gets something out of a graveyard. That makes me so mad, especially when it's main decked. Uh, Yeah. Um, Merciless Eternal is the last card in the pack to consider. That's the uh, 2 and a black uh, flick 2 uncommon. So between Ambuscade, Scrapper, Ruin Rat, and Merciless Eternal, what are you on here? Uh, It's a clear Ambuscade for me here. I think it's head and shoulders above the rest of the cards, and we're still trying to stay open at this point in the draft. Totally agree. And at this point, I I think that Seth is thrilled, right? He's got he's got what could be potentially a white bomb. He's got a premium black removal spell and a premium green removal spell. And just yeah, like, he's got he's got first pickable quality cards in three different colors, so he exactly. can go any direction he wants here in the draft. That's the kind of place I want to be in a draft. Like I've got three powerful cards. I, I'm probably not hoping to get into a fourth color at this point, but I can now sort of because it's so hard to pick up on quote unquote signals in the first couple picks because if someone took a rare, you can't really you know read too much into that from what you're getting past in terms of colors um so i i really yeah i agree with all three of his picks here yeah so after at this point uh i think 
white and black were insanely open in his seat. Uh, oh, yeah. and he ended he ended up in like a sicko white black zombies deck. Uh, he got a second to last pick in pack one, Merciless Eternal, which yeah. like in no way should that ever happen in my mind. Yeah. Um, the card is way better than that. And another another thing that's really interesting to note is that at the end of pack one, uh, to me he had he had no ways to gain life, like actual stone zero ways to gain life, and yet uh, the the commentators Paul Chian uh, and Maria Bartholdi. Uh, we're still, am I saying her last name right? I think so. We're still talking about what a bomb Crested Sunmare was. And I, I think like by the end of pack one, if you don't have any ways to gain life yet, I think it's pretty unlikely that it's going to be a bomb in your deck. Sure. It might like, you might pick up two to three ways, but then that's kind of like you're maybe making a horse. And if you make one horse off Crested Sunmare, I think it's a very good card, but I would still be hesitant to call it a, a bomb. I don't know, man. I mean, I've not played with or against it, so I can't speak to it. But it feels like if you make one horse, you're kind of doing it for five mana. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, and I might be the one that's got the wrong idea here because yeah. my Twitch chat is in love with that card. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I could I could certainly be wrong. All right, last uh, last draft viewer here. Yeah, last draft. Uh, this is Sam Black's uh, draft viewer, who's who's a very very creative drafter. Uh, his day one draft deck was a masterpiece, a thing of beauty. Ice Rock would have been proud. Total, total, <laughs> total garbage fire dumpster five color deck. Yeah, uh, he had tr- like triple Manolith, uh, Wrath of God. The uh, what are they called? Invocation Wrath of God. Um, what else did he have? The police he are had... coming for you, Ben. The police are coming for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll try. We'll try to edit that down a little bit. I think that's actually. I think that's actually an ambulance, not the police. So, well, somber note, but. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, his his day one draft was a wild scene. Everyone was talking about it on Twitch, and I finally got to see a photo of it on Twitter, and he had, was running, what, like three manoliths, Like, just so much jank. So many Aftermath cards that I would never think of playing. He he likes reason to believe a lot more than I do. That's the um, Aftermath rare that has, like, one blue mana for scry three, and then four and a green to reveal the top card of your library, and if it's a creature you put it into play like i think but the thing the thing that dexy drafted it actually was a reasonable card in there I because know, they were crazy. so they were so jank yeah. <laughs> so anyway uh so, so that was his day one deck this is his day two draft mm-hmm. um so pick one you sit down day two uh you have torment of venom that's the minus three minus three two black black dauntless Aven, the two one flyer that untaps something spellweaver eternal the two one afflict two blue common aggressive card and consign to oblivion which is the split card, one in a one in a blue for consign, return target permanent to its owner's hand, and four in a black for oblivion, which is the aftermath half, which is mind rot, target player discards two cards. Consign is non land permanent. It is not boomerang. So did, what did I say? You just said return target permanent. Oh, whoops, yeah, not boomerang. Yeah, so pretty pretty interesting pick here. I, I would think this is a clear torment of venom in my mind. I was also on this pick as a clear torment of venom to me too, and I was very surprised when Sam was on consigned to oblivion for his first pick yeah and and he said that spellweaver eternal was his second pick out of the pack right yeah i would i would also be on torment of venom over spellweaver eternal yeah but it it seems like he might be partial to blue uh i mean that's clearly he's partial to blue if he's saying that consign and spellweaver are his first two picks out of the pack yes uh so we've gotten a a consigned to oblivion now Mm -hmm. uh pick two we're looking at ambuscade which is two and a green uh reach out kill something punch your creature punches yeah 
um, and gives you a creature plus one plus oh. Unquenchable Thirst, uh, the one in a blue, tap something down, uh, and you can actively tap it if you have a desert. Kenra Scrapper, the two in a red for a two three menace that exerts to get plus two plus oh, and Merciless Eternal, the two two afflict two uncommon zombie. Um, yeah, so here I would take Ambuscade as the best card in the pack, and it's only the second pick, but Sam sticks to his blue guns and grabs an Unquenchable Thirst here. Yeah, I would also have Torment of Venom and Ambuscade in my pile right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so either, like, Sam Black knows something we don't, or he, he's got a preference for blue. Would you say that's fair? I think he has a preference for blue, and I wonder if his impression from day one was that blue was underdrafted. Right, so maybe he's thinking he can get an edge that way. Exactly, and I don't, and because I do think that blue is is just fine and not a bad color at all. But that people, I'm, may I'm have coming a, around. I'm coming around. <laughs> yeah, on the blue train. I've convinced Ben since last week that that blue is good. But that if you sort of have that edge of like, well, people are underdrafting blue. They have this bad taste in their mouth from triple Amonkhet. So I'm going to plant my foot in blue early in the draft and get rewarded because maybe there'll be one other blue drafter at the table. I think that's not a bad strategy. Um, but I don't know if that was what he his impression was or if he was just like, I like these blue cards. But yeah, the man is a very good limited player. So I have no doubt that this was all a calculated decision. Yes. Uh, pick three. Uh, we have aerial guide two in a blue for a two two flyer that can jump another creature into the air along with it when it's attacking uh, sinuous striker. Two and a blue for the 2-2 two, two, uh, can pump itself plus one, minus one for a single blue, and then has eternalized for three blue-blue, discard a card to come back at the 4-4 four, four that can do that same ability. Uh, unsummon for a single blue, return target creature to its owner's hand, and the black common desert that cycles. So he's obviously thrilled. He's looking at three great blue cards here. He talked about unsummon uh, as he was discussing this in the draft viewer that he likes on summon a lot, but worries about being flooded with those kind of effects. And he already has a consign from his first pick, so he doesn't need to prioritize it here. So for him, it was between Aerial Guide and Sinuous Striker. And again, I'm going to unfortunately disagree with him. I would have taken Sinuous Striker here over Aerial Guide. But um, he took Aerial Guide, and his, uh, if I remember correctly, his thought process was his teammates are high on this card, and so he just felt like he was going to take it here, but... In other iterations, he might take Sinuous Striker. It's very close for him. Yeah, it's, it's felt like he was like, well, I'm going to trust my teammates and take right. this card. They told me it was good. I'm going to take it here. Yeah. Um, for uh, Interesting, if we had Torment of Venom and Ambuscade, would you be on Black Desert here at all, or would you still be on Sinuous Striker? That's a really interesting question. I might be on Black Desert. I, I would be on Black Desert myself. Three blue cards, though. Three blue cards is a pretty big signal, but I'm not in love with either Aerial Guide or Sinuous Striker. And I might be too low on those cards. In fact, I'm sure I'm probably too low on those cards. Yeah. And so just kind of fast forward a little bit. uh, Sam Black ended up almost mono blue after two packs. And he opened Angel of Sanctions pack three that he was able to just like calmly take and put in his deck because he'd stayed so open. Um, And then he actually ended up filling out the rest of his deck with green cards in pack three. uh, Had a reason to believe to flip his angel. And he had a couple ways. He had maybe a gift of paradise, some other ways. And he had double vizier um to untap lands so if he found a single planes he had two viziers to untap a planes to cast his angel of sanctions his deck looked good he had two reason to believes at the end of uh pack two and i think ended up running both of them with like a bunch of like greater sandworms and hex croc and yeah his deck was pretty sweet i mean he had a bunch of deserts and three unquenchable thirsts He, he he got the job done he certainly did. Uh, so those those are the Pro Tour drafts. Again, if you want to check those out yourself, uh, you can find those on Twitch at the Magic Channel. So I would, I would strongly encourage you, if this was at all interesting to you, to go watch all those drafts. Because there's no better way to learn a draft than from the pros that are doing it at the Pro Tour. For sure. So 
we've got a little bit of time left, so we should probably run through some Amonkhet cards, as we said we were going to do that, right? Yeah. So we wanted to touch on some cards that have changed in uh, value for us since Amonkhet has gone down to one pack. Maybe some cards that uh, had, had greater synergies or now have greater synergies with the introduction of Hour of Devastation. So the biggest change, I think, that we need to discuss is the Trials and Cartouches. Um, so we now only have one pack of them, right? So they've clearly plummeted in value for me. Um, certainly the, like, utility cartouches, like the white one and the red one, um, that really pair well with uh other trials to rebuy them um, have really gone down for me. I don't know where you are on these. Yeah, I'm I'm lower on all of the trials and cartouches across the board, except except like the green cartouche is obviously like just a good card on its own, and I think blue cartouche stands on its own fairly well too, and black cartouche is still great. So I guess I'm only down cartouche wise. I'm only down on the white and the red cartouche. But it's pretty interesting that trial of solidarity, the white trial, has gone down. I think a lot too because you're not you're. If you can take White Trial out of the pack, you're still unlikely to see a cartouche that you're going to play. I would pack three, pick one, a trial, like a strong trial like that, and still hope to get there, I think. I would too. So I, I wanted to bring this up because this did come up for me like a couple weeks ago. I had, I opened, I was in blue-red spells, uh, and I opened Red Trial versus Cut to Ribbons, and there was no way I was going to be playing black. So we're basically just looking at Red Trial versus Cut, pack three, pick one. I think it's interesting that you said you're in blue-red spells here, because I think that makes that the deciding factor for me. Uh, so I think the fact that you're in spells and you care about having spells in your graveyard makes the pick cut for me versus the red trial. But I think if you weren't in blue-red spells, like if you just told me you were in like a deck that spells didn't matter, I think I would optimistically take red trial overcut, uh, hoping to pick up a cartouche or two. Now, I, I want to clarify something, that the cards that care about spells in your graveyard oh care about non-creature spells yeah those are only in the cards that care about spells in your graveyard come in Amonkhet so like if we get a uh, a drake or we get a warfire javelin here sure but otherwise all the cards both cards are going to trigger all the hour of devastation um, non-creature spells that's true I think that probably sways me back over to red trial yeah that's what I took but I felt like uh, I had a lengthy discussion with Chad about this people were still parsing out I also think yes it's one more mana but it can go to the face red trial can go to the face cut cannot um, is also, I think, important. But yeah, I, so that that is a. I think you are sort of playing like a high risk, high reward. I did end up getting no cartouches in that pack, so it was just like red trial versus cut to ribbons. But the the higher upside on red trial being able to be rebought if we got a red or a blue cartouche, I think, sort of sways me. But that's an interesting thing that I feel like you would not uh, consider otherwise if it was triple Amonkhet. Yeah, uh, and the next thing up here on the list is uh, green fixing in the last fat in the last pack. Yeah. Uh, Shafet monitor, gift of paradise, Naga vitalist. Uh, I'll tell you my thoughts, and I don't know what your thoughts are yet. Here, I have been there have been multiple times that all I have wanted to see is gift of paradise. Yes, in the last pack, like so, so, so much, and Naga vitalist because I think there's a lot of insanely good four drops in HOU. Like and like going Naga vitalist into something like the four four uh, thing that gets what's it called uh tenacious hunter yes like going naga vitalist into tenacious hunter yeah is just like totally savage so i have found myself wanting these cards a lot i agree shafet monitor though i mean it did go down from my initial impression in triple amonkhet it's it's gone down a bit more for me because because there is so much ramp and fixing in green already with oasis oasis ritualist there's the traveler's amulet um i feel like i'm rarely going to be cycling this on four so it it reads much more like a vanilla 6-5 to me than it, it had before. So I'm lower on Shafet Monitor, but higher on Gift and Naga Vitalist. 
that that's how I feel as well. And I and I think that that also depends on what you have out of the hour pack. And I, I think another vote in Naga Vitalist's favor is that like the hour packs you're probably going to be picking up Oasis Ritualist mm-hmm. and going turn two Naga Vitalist into turn three Ritualist into turn four like seven drop is absolutely insane. Yeah. Get get that rampaging hippo down on turn four is absurd, and I've done that many times. So next on the list is Nest of Scarabs here. I don't think Nest of Scarabs is real. I have so many times like seen it on the wheel in the Amonkhet pack, and I go, "Oh, great! It's Nest of Scarabs on the wheel. I'm in green black. Let me count the number of minus one minus one counter <laughs> things I have, and I have four. Yeah, I just did that last night. I know. I had I had six. <laughs> And it's, like, very exciting because I feel like that was a real build around. Like, you wheel it in pack one in Triple Amonkhet and you can really do it. It just, like, doesn't get there anymore. I think you have to, like, see it early in the pack in Amonkhet and then you need to get the Splendid Agonies, the Soul Stingers. Like, I just think it it doesn't come together often enough. Well, but didn't Huey crush, like, GP Kyoto with Nest of Scarabs in his deck? I guess. I didn't watch any GP Kyoto. Am I now going to, like, have to eat my hat? Well, I, I kind of remember that seeing that on Twitter. I did not watch any of GP Kyoto either, but I remember seeing tweets about Huey and Nest of Scarabs. All right. Well, I guess I'm wrong. Wah, wah. <laughs> well, I think it's probably just very unlikely. So yeah. you're less excited about it than you were before. Because it's hard to, because you can't really like build the minus one, minus one counter deck, hoping you'll see the payoff like Nest of Scarabs or Hapatra in one pack, you know? Right. I don't think you can really do that. Ruthless Sniper is the next card on the list. What, what do you think about old Ruth these days? Uh, I think Ruth is good, but I think probably less good than she was in Triple Amonkhet. So, why, so I, yeah, I kind of agree, but also kind of disagree. And here is my where I, I go back and forth. I think she's less good because I think you are less likely to have cyclers in your deck. In Triple Amonkhet, it felt like there were a lot of like utility cyclers, like things like Forsake the Worldly or Dissenter's Deliverance, like things that had... Uh, a powerful sideboard mode and then also cycling uh, flip side or unburden the mind rot all those kinds of things um, and they feel like there's less of those in uh, Hour of Devastation so I think you're less likely to have those sort of filler cyclers in your deck or in your sideboard when you get the Ruthless Sniper in the third pack but there, this is a repeatable way to punish X1s and I really value that pretty highly uh, yeah I, th- I guess I would say I think you're less likely at the end of packs one and two to have a critical mass of cyclers to where picking ruth is a viable card but i mean if you if you have the count of cyclers ruth is still very good yeah so i guess you just have to keep in mind what your cycling count is when you're going to pick your ruthless sniper yeah uh drakehaven i have on the list what do you think about the old cycling matters deck these days uh i don't think it really comes together because of what we just talked about with ruth i mean if if you have a critical mass of cyclers drakehaven is still a thing but i think it's much less likely to happen than it was in amonkhet but I do think if it comes together, it's probably slightly better in this format than it was in Amonkhet. So I did live the dream the other day. I pack one, picked one, abandoned sarcophagus for science. Ooh, and spicy. I, and I made, I just like forced blue-black cycling. Uh, and I gotta say, abandoned sarcophagus is real. I agree. I two-wonned with my deck, and I think I had a bad version of the deck. Like, I was running three countervailing wins... I only got one Vile Manifestation, which I did think was pretty good in this deck, even though it is a bit of a non-bow with Abandoned Sarcophagus, because it gets smaller as you start to cast your Cyclers from your graveyard. Um, oh, yeah. But I think that, that it the the reason I think this card is, is so good in the Cycling Matters deck is that 
when you had Drakehaven in your deck and you were like act aggressively cycling to find your Drakehaven, then you were often left with like a bunch of lands in your hand. But Abandoned Sarcophagus rewards you for aggressively cycling into it because then all of your cards that are in your graveyard are now castable. So I, I do think that that is a real reason to get into this deck. And then, you know, you live the, the actual dream if you find a Drakehaven in pack three. Interesting. Uh, so I, I wanted you to talk about Manglehorn and Dissenter's Deliverance. Yeah, n- next up is Manglehorn, and Dissenter Deliverance can kind of get lumped in. I think Manglehorn especially goes up in value as a sideboard guard, because I think uh, people are going to be running cards like Manolith some amount of the time, and I think there's a lot of insanely powerful artifacts in our uh, God Pharaoh's Gift immediately springs to mind as like a horribly oppressive game-winning card when it comes down. There's still Edifice of Authority running around. And Wall there's, of Forgotten Oh, Wall, well, yeah, 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 oh my god, yeah, sorry. I was struggling. I knew I knew there were other cards. I was forgetting <laughs> Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs. I think is the main reason it's gone up in value because that's a common. And I think I was thinking of these other cards like Descenders Deliverance. I'm picking as a sideboard card for God Pharaoh's Gift. That's <laughs> the card that comes to mind every time I pick a sideboard artifact card. But yeah, so uh, Manglehorn I think is especially goes up in value because of Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs. And these other cards I think you can expect to hit a Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs fairly frequently citing them in i think you also need to keep in mind some of the more powerful artifacts from our devastation so i think every single artifact sideboard card has gone way up in value for me yeah um so that that includes forsake the worldly by force violent impact i also think violent impact is relevant against if near deadlands um that blow up a land text has has come up for me more than once right and i think i think by force has actually gone up that's the red x destroy x target artifacts because if a if a person's playing a wall they're probably playing multiple walls, mm-hmm. and that might and that might also be a deck that wants Manolith. And in most of my God Pharaoh's gifts, I've wanted walls because of you're trying to get to seven mana. Yep. Um, so I, I've I've had by force cited in against me, and I've gotten crushed by it. Um, I, I put lay claim on this list as well because I think uh, I think lay claim has gone up for me. Not that I was ever low on it because I wasn't one of those people who thought blue was bad in Amonkhet, but I just think the format has slowed down, and there are just still so many bombs abound that are non-creatures as well as creatures that I think lay claim is just a, a really premium uncommon in the third pack. I would agree. Next up, we've got Wander in Death and Gravedigger. Uh, we were both, I think, up, even by the end of Amonkhet, like higher than the rest of the world on wander and death and i think the fact that there's only one pack of it now i would be willing to first pick wander of death and i would not be sad about it at all the so wander and death is so good because the again the format has slowed down so these attritiony matchups uh wander and death really rewards you uh or you're really rewarded for playing wander and death in your deck and because there's so much easy fixing like you end the first two packs with survivors encampment just jam wander and death in your deck if you don't have a black source fine you cycle it like it's not that big of a deal and when you are able to just like divination draw the two best creatures from your graveyard it's such a huge swing in your favor for the game yeah insanely good so up next on the list talk to me about initiate's companion initiate's companion has gone up for me um because i think the green-white exert deck has gotten better, and I think the punishment for X1s has gotten lower, that I think Initiate's Companion really can do a lot of work. I mean, it's certainly, it's not Dauntless Haven by any stretch of the imagination, but I am way less sad about having it in my deck. I basically thought it was, I, I was on the nearly unplayable train in Triple Amonkhet for Initiate's Companion, but I'm much higher on it now. I would agree. I'm in the same boat. I'm in, if I'm in that green white exert deck, I'm like pretty excited to put initiative companion in my deck. In exactly. Drop slot. Yeah. Um, I, I put down, I wanted to talk about eternalize versus embalm. And I think in general, like when I've, because we talk about vizier of the anointed so much, when I pick 
that card. I am looking for Eternalize way more than I'm looking for Embalm. I mean, I uh, think about the uh, Avon Initiate at this point, that it's, you know, it's an Embalm cost is six and a blue, and all you get is a 3-2. When a lot of people are able to pay six mana to get a 4-4 back, that feels pretty uh, bad in comparison. You're paying four mana to get your 2-1 back, five mana to get your 3-2 back. So what I was going to say is I think, like, in those two cards, the card that immediately comes to mind for me from our is Proven Combatant. And I yes. think I would rather have a Proven Combatant with my Vizier than I would even in a shit. Yeah, I agree. So just interesting to me that I think Embalm got kind of like slightly worse. Not that I'm not excited to play these Embalmers, but when I'm investing mana from my graveyard, I'm much more happy when it turns into a 4-4 than when it turns into a smaller creature. <laughs> what about Oncrop Champion and Synchronized Strike? On crop champion is the the two white green for a four four. I had to think think what that was for a second. <laughs> uh, and, and when it attacks, you untap all your other creatures. And synchronized strike is the two and a green for plus two plus two to two creatures and untap both those creatures. I think both of these cards went up in value because I think green white exert got much 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 better with hour of devastation. It got two premium commons in Oketra's Avenger and at three actually and Ronus's Stalwart and Dauntless Aven. Yeah. Um all three of those cards make that deck into a real force, and I think as such, on Crop Champion and Synchronized Strike have gone up in value. Agreed. Honed Kopesh, a card that I think in uh, Triple Amonkhet was going in perhaps more decks than it should, but I've certainly put it in a number of decks uh, towards the end of the format. Um, I think it's it's gone down for me because I think the aggression in the format has gone down, and also, if you want an equipment, you can probably grab the Dagger of the Worthy in uh, packs one or two, and I think that card is uh, a much better choice than Honed Kopesh. I agree completely. Next up, we've got the Amonkhet Deserts, mm-hmm. which are Sunscorched Deserts, uh, Painted Bluffs, Cradle of the Accursed, and Grasping Dunes. All <laughs> all four of these cards I have played. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> no shame. No shame. <laughs> how, maybe, a little, maybe a little bit of shame about Sunscorched Desert. How surprised are you that you're playing Sunscorched Desert in this format? Uh, I'm surprised. If you had told me that at the beginning of the format, I would have been shocked. But I think what makes that happen is Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs. I think that's such a huge design win that a card that I thought was, like, unplayable in Triple Amonkhet is now a card that I'm like, that didn't wheel? Oh, no. Like, <laughs> I have been there. I have been there also. Yeah. About Sunscorched Desert. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, especially now that people are catching on about the Desert Matters synergies, like, certainly Painted Bluffs is the best of this bunch because it uh, is a mana fixer. Um, so you're not going to see that on the wheel basically ever. And even these colorless ones, like you, if you care about deserts, you're going to have probably have to take them earlier than you think you should. Well, and, and Cradle of Gerst and Grasping Dunes can both go off with cards like Ramianap Excavator or the Quarry Beetle, the oh, 4-5 yeah, that can return to land. Um, so I think those both have like niche synergies there. Mm-hmm. And I think if your mana base can support it, I think Grasping Dunes is a very, very good card. Yeah. Like, as an 18th colorless land or something. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, next up is uh, Sacred Cat. Uh, just a note for me. Uh, I think if you've got unconventional tactics, which I think is the the reason to play zombies. I totally agree. Um, that's that's the payoff I want. And, and you know, we were saying you're maybe trying to draft zombies and wheel unconventional tactics, I think, at the beginning of the format. I want to pick unconventional tactics and go into zombies because of unconventional tactics. Yeah, I see now. tactics third, and I'm like, okay, I'll take this here, and I'll hedge if zombies is open. Yeah, and I think uh, Sacred Cat is insanely good with unconventional tactics. I faced this down yesterday or the day before. It's all blurring together. I've drafted a lot <laughs> the last week. <laughs> a couple of unplanned 12-hour streams in there. So jealous. Yeah, so... Uh, 
sacred cat is great because it you put unconventional tactics on your sacred cat you get a four four flying life linker and then if your sacred cat ever dies it comes back as a zombie which lets you rebuy your unconventional tactics and then you've got another four four flying life linker so the downside of unconventional tactics is that it forces you into a race and sacred cat helps make sure you win that race so if i've got unconventional tactics i'm really going to be looking looking to pick up some sacred cats that's very smart i hadn't thought of that that's great vizier of deferment has gotten even better ben what do you mean about this yeah, I think so. I I don't know. Like, I think it was already good, but I have just been like savagely crushed by Vizier of Deferment several times. I think I think Eternalizers are very good, and it eats a four four. So mm-hmm. like your two mana two two that eats a four four is great. Yep. I've gotten ranched by it after casting Kefnet's Last Word and attacking my creature into it when I didn't know it was in their deck that I'd <laughs> stolen, and they took it back. Mm. Um, there's just a. It seems like there's a lot of situations where it really shines in the new format. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I've just gotten owned by it, so I wanted to make note. And and it doesn't always come... It didn't necessarily come to mind as often as it should for me in Amonkhet, and now it really doesn't come to mind to me uh, that there's only one pack of Amonkhet, so just keep an eye out. Beware. Yeah, I was just always, always surprised how good that card was, even in Triple Amonkhet, but I'm sure it's just still as surprisingly good. Yeah, next up, uh, Dune Beetle and Ancient Crab. I thought both of these cards were borderline unplayable uh sorry 11 secret herbs and spices <laughs> uh he's got a dune beetle op theme going on in his stream over there yeah um but i think both these cards have gone up with the addition of our and i would not be unhappy to have them in my deck i think they do i think they do a reasonable wall of forgotten pharaohs impression uh if you don't have any wall of forgotten pharaohs but like how much different are these than the three mana one four that mill for three not that much different. Dune Beetle costs two. I think that's important. Okay. So maybe I'm a little lower on Ancient Crab? Ancient Crab, I'm not like that. Because, what is, I can't even remember what that card is called. Seer, Seer of the Forgotten Way. Seer of the Forgotten Way, that sounds good. That that card, I feel like, sits on my sideboard a lot, so I'm never even considering picking Ancient Crab. So I'm not. maybe I should be considering that point of toughness more. Yeah, no, I've also I've also not picked Ancient Crab, if I'm being honest. But I do think Ancient Crab blocks Eternalizers, so there's yeah. got to be something there. I guess I just kind of lumped it in with Dune Beetle because I found myself playing Dune Beetle yeah. more than I would care to admit, uh, and I was not willing to put that card in my deck mm-hmm. in the Triple Almond Kit. All right, you've got uh, Tawcrop Skirmisher here. What, what do you want to talk about this guy? Yeah, I just think Tawcrop Skirmisher's good. I thought it was good in Triple Almond Kit, and I think people underrated it there a little bit, and mm-hmm. I think it's gone up with the card like Vizier the Anointed now, like, if I have Vizier the Anointed, I'm like actively looking to pick up Tawcrop Skirmishers, and I think the card does work. And it also just comes down as a roadblock. It makes you, it forces your opponent's Oketra's Avengers to exert. I think it just does tons of work. Uh, Hooded Brawler and Emberhorn Minotaur are next up on this list. My god, do these cards look enormous compared to the cards in Hour of Devastation. I mean, like, these are such huge exert beaters that I just feel like they, they've gone up to me. Well, and I think like the fact that Dauntless Haven exists makes them go up even more. Oh like if God. you're attacking every turn with a five four hooded brawler or every turn with a five four menace Emberhorn Minotaur, like this just gets out of hand in a hurry. I mean by every turn you mean two turns because your opponent's gonna be dead like after just a couple attacks from these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh next on the list is Splendid Agony. Much better, right? I mean just, just because there's less punishment for X ones and there are still X ones, I think Splendid Agony is so powerful. Yes, and I'm just lumping in with that Black Cartouche. Both both of those cards like are insanely good. Are you still on Black Cartouche and Splendid Agony over Final Reward? I am like not not even close for yeah, me. Me too. Blazing Volley is next. I think similarly in line with with Splendid Agony. Uh, I'm currently happy to main deck a, bla- a Blazing Volley in my red decks. I think I am too. I think I think mostly only if I'm blue red. 
or if I have like a lot of things that care about casting non-creature spells, because I will be pretty sad if it's a blank in my deck in the main, but if I have any, if it even can like do an impression of like a half a card, a quarter of a card, then I think I'm still going to be okay putting that main because the upside to blowing out double O'Ketra's Avenger is huge. Yes, maybe maybe happy is the wrong word. I'm I'm not embarrassed to yeah, make a blazing volley. Yeah, and I think it's a great sideboard card. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one I wanted to bring up was Pathmaker Initiate. Uh, just uh, there's a wombo combo with Dauntless Aven where you can attack with your Pathmaker Initiate and your Dauntless Aven, untap your Pathmaker Initiate, and then tap your Pathmaker Initiate, targeting itself to give it give itself unblockable. Um, so if you've not seen that yet, be on the lookout for it. Uh, <laughs> that think... is so cute. Well, but I think it's important to note, like, I think that's the kind of thing that comes up for you and I, where we've done, like, 60 drafts that somebody that's only done, like, 10 drafts might not know about. Yeah, for sure. Another one that's gone up for me slightly is Benefaction of Ronus. I think this card's, like, not embarrassing to play anymore, especially if you've got, like, three Unquenchable Thirsts and maybe a couple Gift of Paradise in your deck. I think probably people would have dismissed it out of hand in Triple Amonkhet, and I think it's a playable card now in certain decks. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that the cards go to the graveyard, right? The ones that you yes, don't take. Yes, I mean, yes. That, that mm-hmm. is re- much like, what's it called? Strategic planning. That that text is pretty relevant in the world of Aftermath and Spells Matter in your graveyard and Eternalize and Embalm. Yeah, and another one is Gate to the Afterlife. This was the one where we didn't know what it did in Amonkhet. <laughs> and, now, and now we know what it does. And I learned what it did like the first time it was on the battlefield. So my opponent played it and I was like, huh, that card's unplayable. And then I was like, wait, no, that gets a new card now. What does it get? And then I was like, they'd already played God Pharaoh's Gift the first game, mm-hmm. and it totally crushed my soul. Yeah. And then in game two, they played this, and I was like, oh my god, that goes and gets God Pharaoh's Gift. I'm so totally done. Like, I can't I can't possibly win this game. So are you, like, you have God Pharaoh's Gift out of the first two packs. You see a Gate to the Afterlife second pick in Amonkhet. Yeah. Are you taking it, or are you hoping it wheels? Uh, depends on how good of a card there is in the pack. There's a good card in the pack. There's a 3 or a 3.5 star card in the pack. I would take Gate to the Afterlife over that. Not Wow. Close. Have you played with Gate to the Afterlife and Godfarrow's Gift yet? I haven't. I've played with Godfarrow's Gift. Oh my god. It feels so good when you have Gate to the Afterlife. You can get it out of your hand. You can get it out of your graveyard. You can get it out of your deck. It totally warps the way the game plays out. Great. And God, Gate to the Afterlife lets you pitch cards to get six creatures in your graveyard to turn it on it only mm-hmm. costs two mana then to play your god pharaoh's gift it gains you life it lets you look through your deck it's oh my god it's so good it's it's insanely powerful with god pharaoh's <laughs> gift insanely powerful all right you, you you made me a believer yeah i'm excited last card on this list oracle's vault yeah i think this is better than it was i think the format slowed down enough that in your defensive three color garbage jank deck i think oracle's vault's a very good card yeah in the same sense of uh, i think sunset pyramid is is quite good in this format or, or not maybe quite good but like uh, i'm happy to have it in most decks because i think every deck wants some sort of card advantage engine uh, i think oracle's vault is exactly where you want to be i agree so do you want to wrap up the episode there i think so i think so we've we've uh, blabbed on enough all right, uh, so next week, uh, we're looking forward to maybe... Uh, I'm, I'm going to GP Indie. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, it's going to be my first ever GP. Um, so if you would like to follow my GP Indie journey, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, and I'll be posting updates there. Um, so I'm going to be doing sealed practice in prep for that. So I think we maybe are going to do a sealed episode next week or the following week, uh, depending on what we 
come up with when we brainstorm ideas for the show. Yeah. And as always, thank you to Springtide for our outro music. The song you heard was Introduction with No Words, and our intro music composed specifically for the show uh, from our very own Salty Pretzels. And I think he's also working on a new outro for us, which is totally sweet. Should be very sweet. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with me or Ben directly, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Lord Tupperware, and Ben is at Mr. Metronome. That's Mr. spelled out, M-I-S-T-E-R. And we're both on Twitch.tv. Come spam our Twitch chats. Watch us stream magic nearly every day at Twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware and twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Yeah, uh, and if anybody's got feedback about the show or questions for us, you've got to pack one, pick one you weren't sure about and you want our opinions, uh, send us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. And uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep, thanks everybody. See you later.